Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The sermon text for this, uh, for this today is the gospel lesson that was read for you earlier. When driving around with a preschooler in the backseat of your car, running errands can feel like a bit of an adventure. You never know what's going to pop out of their mouths as, you observe, as they observe the world around them. And recently, I was driving through a freshly plowed parking lot, and my son pointed out to me the mountains of snow. That was his word, the mountains of snow. He then went on to talk about how he had climbed a giant snow mountain at preschool. And to him, yes, that snow pile was probably four times taller than he was. And if you keep that same aspect ratio the same for us adults, that'd be like you or me climbing a 22-foot-high mountain of snow, about as tall as a two-story house. And if the snow keeps up like it has been, that might be what we're doing in a week or two. I'm not sure. But as my son told me about this experience of climbing Snow Mountain, I could tell that it was something special to him. It, it was an event that made an impact. Now, in our gospel lesson for today, we hear about another event up on a mountain that made an impact, and that's when Jesus was transfigured in the presence of a few of his disciples. And I'm trying to imagine what it might have been like for them up on this mountain to witness this amazing experience. For Peter, it was likely overwhelming, but at the same time, a positive experience. In verse 33, Peter says, Master, it is good that we are here. He also wanted to make three tents for everyone so they won't have to leave. In other words, I'm thinking he didn't want it to end because that's the thing with mountaintop experiences. Of course, you don't want it to end. And oh, what a mountaintop experience it was. Here we have Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, this, partic this is particularly interesting when you know that the scriptures that the Jewish people held to at the time, the scriptures that would have been important to Peter, James, and John, they're often referred to as the law and the prophets. And here we have the top figurehead for each of these. Moses being the one who received the law, the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. And we have Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, who was personally taken up to heaven by God. And here, Jesus is talking with them. And he's talking with them about his departure, which 30, verse 31 tells us he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And that's what it says here in the ESV translation. Now, in the Greek here, in the book of Luke, the word actually used for departure is actually exodus. It's, it's literally exodus spelled out in Greek letters, exodus. And this word recalls all of that great history and that theme of God's deliverance of his people, the great salvation event for Israel. And just like the first exodus where the Israelites passed through the Red Sea has overtones of baptism, so too does Jesus' exodus or departure. God saved the Old Testament Israelites from death at the Red Sea by passing them through the water on dry land. He then saves them by killing their Egyptian foes who pursued them. But now with Jesus, people are saved in a different way. They are saved by the very death of Jesus on the cross. A death that we are connected to in the waters 
of baptism. A death where the old Adam is drowned and there's a rebirth of the new person, a born again of the Spirit. And it is by Jesus' departure or exodus from life itself, a journey which includes a stop in the tomb and a descent into hell before culminating at the resurrection of the dead. And so we have here Jesus who climbed a mountain with a few of his close followers who stopped to pray and then was transfigured in front of their eyes. Scripture tells us that Jesus' very face was altered. His clothes radiated light and he was talking with two men who appeared in glory. And this was just the first wave of that mountaintop experience. Then we have a theophany, a, a visible manifestation of God to humankind. And this second wave included a cloud overshadowing them and the speaking of God's voice. We also know from Scripture how the disciples felt about this. They were afraid. Think of it, that these lowly fishermen turned disciples were observing the very God of heaven at work. Now maybe, maybe in your life, in your walk of faith, you've had your own mountaintop experience. I've heard it said that a, a national youth gathering can feel like a mountaintop experience for young people in high school. Maybe you've done that. Personally, I haven't had the opportunity yet. Looking forward to the summer when I'm going for the first time. Another example of a mountaintop experience is that of baptism. If you were baptized later in life, and can remember it happening, I bet participating in the sacrament left a lasting and impactful and meaningful memory for you. But maybe you're like me and you were baptized as a baby, so you don't have a memory of that. But I can tell you, bringing my own children to the waters of baptism was a mountaintop experience for me as God, as you watch God work faith in the lives of these little ones through the Holy Spirit and speaking of his word. Or maybe you can recall some other situation where you have been, where God's presence was, was palpable in your life. Maybe there was an event where you could find no other explanation than God doing what God does. But here's the kicker. Our faith shouldn't have to rely on experiences such as these. Because it's coming into direct contact with God's word that should do it for us, right? Every time we look in the Bible, every time we hear it read or are reminded with what it says, we should, it should be a mountaintop experience for us. This book of scriptures is the way that God has promised to talk directly into our lives. Why then is it that we don't feel like we're on a mountaintop? Why? Why do we turn a deaf ear to it? Well, the truth is, we spend a lot of our life living on a pretty level plane. It seems like there is not a lot that surprises us, not a lot that changes around us. We get up, we go to work, we, we eat our food, we get on with our busy day. And when someone asks how your day was, we respond with things like, eh, it's fine. Nothing big happened. Same old, same old, right? In the mundaneness, in the monotony of ordinary life, in the it's fine, whateverness that we plod along in, we need to be reminded 
that our God is alive and that our God is active and that he's speaking into our lives and sometimes having to use the megaphone of pain to get our attention. C.S. Lewis is attributed with this quote. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, God has a way of turning our low points, our, our valleys, our pain into mountaintops. And it's actually in the low parts of our lives that we come face to face with the reality of our sinful world. It's in our daily lives, in the low parts of our daily lives, that we are drawn all the closer to God. It's in the low part of our lives that shakes us awake to the spiritual natures of our lives. It's in the diagnosis out of the blue. It's in the sudden moving away of a close friend. It's in the departure of a loved one who's gone to be with the Lord. It's in the loss of a job or legal action being taken against you. It's in those low times that we are drawn all the closer to God. It's because in these hard times, in these low times, our ears are much more attuned to hear what God has to say. Hearing that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that what, all the bad things you've done is not being held against you, that you have a Savior who willingly died for you, who has given you purpose, and, that, and a God that has called you to be his own. He has washed you in the blood of Jesus, which includes the promise of eternal life, and he promises to be with you each and every day. There is a central and eternal truth in this pericope, and it's this. When you listen to Jesus, your life is changed. When you listen to what Jesus says, it transforms your life. The disciples of Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they learned this truth firsthand. They had God say to them, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And it's in that listening that this transformation is even possible. Another central truth, God loves us too much to be done with us. All of us, we are all constantly a work in progress. And it's the hearing of the gospel and the Holy Spirit working in our hearts that continues to grow us in our faithful following of Jesus. On this mountaintop, Jesus was transfigured and his glory was shown at this point to these people. But at the resurrection of the dead, his glory was shown to everyone for all time. And it's the resurrection, the, the transformation from death to life that makes the difference because it's the truth of the power of God that transforms our lives. God has done, currently does, and will continue to do amazing things in the life of his earthly children. God in his power through the Holy Spirit transformed your life as an enemy of God, dead in your trespasses, into a new person, a redeemed and saved person, a person brought back to life by the power of the gospel. God did that for you. 
2,000 years ago, before the resurrection, Jesus' disciples saw the man Jesus as the default. They saw a guy eat food, take naps, have birthdays, and leave footprints. And at times they saw just a regular guy teach with authority. They saw a human being heal in a divine way. And they saw their friend and travel companion climb a mountain. They watched in awe as his clothing emitted light and as he had a conversation with two of the most popular figureheads in Jewish history. And then the icing on the cake, a cloud descended upon them and the very God of heaven spoke audibly. Their eardrums physically vibrated at God's words. These disciples would go on to follow Jesus and to watch another natural thing take place, his death, his death on a cross. And as we celebrate the transfiguration, it's also with this in mind that we are now turning our attention to Jesus' journey to the cross as we enter this season of Lent. We put a temporary halt on our use of the word alleluia, a word that shouts praise to God out of our joy that we know in the resurrection. But that doesn't mean that it puts an end to the power of God's transformational impact on our lives. It doesn't mean that we sit quietly and wait for mountaintop experiences to let God's word have its way with us, changing us and growing us in faith. No, because it's his word that in our lives that causes that transformation. And it doesn't matter if we're the ones speaking it or if we're the ones hearing it. God still uses it for good. He's given us this promise in Isaiah 55. He says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's in the normal everyday life that God might present to you an opportunity for you to have a spiritual conversation with someone. That God might use you to share his transformational word with someone you care about. Like on your way to yet another activity with your kids. Or when driving your elderly parents to an, uh, an appointment. Or, or even riding the bus to and from school. My prayer for you today is that we all get the opportunity to be more like Jesus' disciples. Who observed the transfiguration. That, that we all behold God's glory and we listen to Jesus, and that we are transformed by him in our everyday life. May God grant this in your life and in mine. Amen.